0: In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have come to a chapter that can be classified as one of the most important and critical chapters of the Bible. If you would select 10 of the greatest chapters of the Bible, which men have done from the beginning of the Christian era, you will find that 1 Corinthians 15 will be on your list and has been on practically all the lists ever made. It is that important. It is so important that it actually answers the first heresy of the church, which was the denial of the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this morning we will not only, I've entitled the morning's message, The Unforgivable Sin." This morning we will not only look at the gospel, which Paul read for us in the first four verses of 1 Corinthians uh, 15, um, but we will also look at the work of the Holy Spirit in five different areas. Um, the reason, the main reason the Holy Spirit was sent, we're going to find out, was to, first of all, convict a person of their sin, um, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead you in, into um, the knowledge of all things. Um, the name for the Holy Spirit that Jesus Jesus refers to and will go there is the Comforter or the Helper. Uh, the purpose after repentance, therefore, is to draw a person into a personal relationship. Now having the Holy Spirit actually living and dwelling in you and separating you. The word church actually means called out once. Called out from where? Called out from the world. I mean, we're still in a world, but we're not to be a part of the world. So that's another part of the working of the Holy Spirit. And then um, we will discuss uh, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the only sin that will not be forgiven, not in this life or in the life to come. So if you look at chapter 15, if you ever want to just simply lay out to somebody and they give them four verses of what the gospel is, well, here it is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which you also received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast, that word which i preached to you unless you would believe in vain for i delivered first of all that which i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures now here we have a place where we could have a a whole i'm going to give an old testament picture of something else but here jesus is referring to um, the Old Testament according to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he's pointing them back to Old Testament prophecy, and he's saying Jesus is a fulfillment of that. So if you're taking notes, the first four verses declare what is um, the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verses 5 through 11, um, it gives the names, not all of them, of those who actually saw the Lord after he arose from the dead. He was on the earth for 40 days before he ascended into heaven. And we're told that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time. Peter saw him. and um, Paul here is saying most of these guys are still alive and can, can tell you, but some of them have died and fallen asleep. Then he was seen by James, and so 5 through 11 is basically, Paul is telling them these are eyewitness accounts of people who actually saw the Lord, touched the Lord, after he arose from the grave. Um. In verses 12 through 19, my mistake, Paul, I had you quit at 15, I should, I had had it wrong in my notes, that never happens, by the way, I never have anything wrong in my notes, they're always, (laughs) well, at least I'm consistent, you know. So, verses 12 through 19 really is the importance of it, and we'll probably be in chapter 15 because it is one of the most important chapters In the entire Bible. And we read here um, now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is also in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Now there's a scary thought. Those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ, well, they've perished. If in this life only we have hope, In Christ, we are men most miserable. In other words, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then we are all wasting our time here this morning. And you should be out riding your bicycle or doing whatever. But we're here. And we're here to worship, to fellowship. And um, uh, this is where we're going to stop for this morning um, because I want to get into. The reality that because Jesus rose from the dead this means that our sins are forgiven and he accomplished that on Calvary's cross and he proved it when he came back to life again the third day. Now turn with me to Luke chapter 12 looking at verses 8 through 10 we'll see where the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned. So if you're in Luke 12, let's pick it up in verse eight. Now also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him, the Son of Man, will also confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven him, but to him who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven. So this is where we get the term, the unforgivable sin, or the blasphemy, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask the question, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? I'm really glad you asked that question this morning. Let's go to the book of Acts chapter 2 I'm not going to read the whole thing I will skip it but um, here we'll have a definition practical application of what the baptism of the Holy Spirit actually is we read in Acts 2 that when the day of Pentecost had fully come they were all with one accord in one place and suddenly there came a sound from heaven, a rushing rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house And they were where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as of men, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're gonna read in just a little bit, the Lord is gonna say, it's expedient that I leave because if I don't leave, I can't send back the Holy Spirit. Well, when the Lord rose into heaven, that's when the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, um, is Pentecost 50s, and we have here that when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the Holy Spirit was given. I might point out here, this is the only place um, in the New Testament where it talks about being seen and heard. And in other places, they're just laying hands on people and they're receiving the Holy Spirit, but there's no other mention of a, of a mighty wind or no other mention of flames of fire over their head. This is the only place you actually see that. And what happened, because it was Pentecost... Um, there would have been Jews, devout Jewish people from all over the world who would have been coming to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So it says in verse 3 now there, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitudes came together and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. So here we have uh, the disciples um, listening to these, speaking in tongues, and the people that came from these other countries are amazed because, they, verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are these not Galileans so now we know who where the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples the apostles but they're from Galilee and didn't we make the point last week that Galileans have their own sort of uh, special accent just like the Upers do up in the UP well so did the Galileans they had their own he said aren't you guys Galileans what's going on here you're interpreting our language and it there's a list of at least 10 or 15 different um, places uh, that they came from, Egypt, um, the Medes, uh, Asia, um, Rome, from all all over, Crete, and they had their own language there, and um, the disciples were explaining what they were saying, and what they were saying is that... Um, Um, We hear them speak in our own language, verse 11, the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and confused and complex and said to one another, what does this mean? And others mocked and said, they are full of new wine. Well, Peter said, that's not the case at all. So now, uh, I'm going to summarize most of this. Peter stands up. And with the eleven and raised his voice and said to the men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day we're talking nine o'clock in the morning our time he says they're not drunk he says but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel so once again let's stop and make the connection Joel made a prophecy that this day would come. And so I'm quoting Joel now. And it said, It'll come to pass in the last days. So it was the last days when the church was actually beginning. And I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. And on my maidservants and on my men men and maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will show wonders in heaven and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoke, and the sun will be turned into darkness. So we have the beginning of the church here, but then it goes off all the way into the end of the tribulation period period, what would be the church age. And it will come to pass verse 21 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then he addresses um, the coming of this kingdom and he lays out from an Old Testament perspective all that the scripture says about this coming kingdom. And that there would be one like David. um, Verse 21, uh, David, uh, in quoting this prophecy, um, in verse 21, because you'll not leave my soul in Hades, he's referring to David as prophesying about himself there, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Two different people. One is David. And uh, he will sit upon his throne. That was promised to him. That is the kingdom. Nor will you see your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the way of life, and you will make me full of joy in your presence. Now he's associating Jesus Christ and David, both as not seeing corruption and um, the promise of the kingdom that's coming. And then he goes on to explain, and, uh, and when he came, You guys rejected him. You not only rejected him, you crucified him. You crucified the Son of God. Now, someday I'll get to hear Peter preach. But this is Peter under the anointing of the Holy Spirit just laying it out there. And if there's one evangelical message that I would sure love to hear, I would have loved to have heard this one. Because he's just laying it out there. And it brought such convictions. Um, He talked about him ascending into heaven. But then he says in verse 34, David did not ascend into heaven. But he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. This is from Psalm 110, verse 1. That's a prophecy fulfilled. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, what did he do? Well, he sat down. He sat down at the right hand of the Father for how long? Until he makes his enemies a footstool. When he comes back and puts everything in order and establishes the kingdom that he promised to David. And then the conviction comes in. Therefore, and we'll read the rest of this down to uh, verse 41. Therefore, he's saying that Jesus is the Messiah. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And this is the main mission, first main mission, of the work of the Holy Spirit is to bring a conviction that you are a sinner. Um, most people today, you ask them, are you "Going to heaven?" I think so. Well, why do you think so? Well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> and their attitude is is one of their judging their acceptance in heaven on, "Well, um, oh, I'm not that bad of a person. Yeah, I got some." problems and some faults but uh, I don't think God would send me to hell just because of that, this or that or the other thing no um, it says here that um, um, they were cut to the heart when they heard what they did to Jesus that he was the son of God so they asked the logical question so what do we do and Peter said to them repent All right, the Holy Spirit brought conviction. Peter gives the answer of what they need to do. They need to repent. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the coming is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And um, I wish they would left the rest of the message in because it says, with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, being saved from this perverse generation. Boy, we could say amen to that one, huh? Lord, help us get out of this perverse generation. Now, verse 41. And those who gladly received his words were baptized. In other words, those who were cut to the heart And it was revealed to them, just what Paul says later, in me that is in my flesh dwell no good thing, nothing. There's nothing good in us unless it's from the Lord. And there were those that accepted it and be saved from this perverse generation. And those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to the church. Now, there were more than 3,000 people that were there. What does that mean? Well, that means 3,000 people got saved, born again, and filled with the Holy Spirit. But if there was 5,000 people there, that means 2,000 people heard the same message under the anointing of the preaching of Peter. And um, they could have been convicted, but they didn't repent. So, what is the only sin that can never be forgiven? What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? What is the unforgivable sin? The unforgivable sin is when you hear 1 Corinthians 15, the first four verses, what the gospel is. And it's being um, presented under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And you are convicted we're gonna make a big point of having a free will this morning. Whosoever, you can know the truth and you can accept it or you can reject it. Good place for an amen. Here 3,000 accepted it, they're born again. Maybe 1,000, 2,000 said nah, don't want to, I wanna do my own thing. They just committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because you see my friends, there is no other way you can get to heaven. There is no other, no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Jesus is the only one who lived the perfect life. And you have to live a perfect life to be in fellowship with a perfect heavenly father. And that's what the unforgivable sin is. Turn with me, please, to... John chapter 7. John 7, and we're looking at verses 37 through 39. John 7, 37 through 39. This would have been the Feast of Sukkot, um, tabernacles, Uh, It lasted I believe for eight days So this would have been the last day There's a whole Bible study of this first verse here On the last day The great day of the feast Jesus stood and cried Saying If anyone thirsts Let him come to me and drink He who believes in me As the scripture has said Out of his heart Will flow rivers Of living water But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive future tense, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus has not yet ascended, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here we're told um, that the Holy Spirit Um, well, basically would satisfy that empty part of every human being. Everybody who is not born again, whether they'll admit it or not, are lonely inside, empty inside, I don't care how how much money you have, how successful you are, fact of the matter is, you're empty. And um, until the Holy Spirit not only comes inside of you, but actually flows out of you. I mean, sometimes you can't keep your mouth shut. When you find something as good that has satisfied your soul, that's one of my favorite songs. You satisfy my soul. Pretty much tried everything else, and um, that doesn't work. But Jesus, and the, what He's talking about here is the coming, and when He comes, it's going to be like rivers of living water, just gushing right out of you. And uh, then he said, I'm referring, he's explaining himself in verse 39, but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, future tense, was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's turn a couple pages to John chapter 16. Again, um, getting to the main reason, first of all, why The Holy Spirit was said, John chapter 16, we're looking at verses, um, well, let's pick it up in verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper. Now, that can be interpreted the comforter. In some Bibles, it says comforter. In some Bibles, it says helper. Now, this is going to be important, so remember it. Um, nevertheless, I tell you the truth: it's to your advantage. King James says it's, it's expedient that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper or the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he and when he comes, what will he do? He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they did not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my father and you will see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And um, he's referring to his victory on the cross where Satan was defeated. I still have means, um, many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. Because the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God, in other words, Pentecost hasn't come yet. He says, So I could tell you the spiritual things, but you guys aren't going to get it. Why? Because the Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. However, when the Spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. This is another point that you want to remember because I'm going to make reference to it a little later. In other words, he won't be drawing attention to himself but um, of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me. In other words, Jesus. Instead of glorifying himself as a third person of the Trinity, he's going to glorify the Son. For he will uh, take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will talk of mine and he will declare it to you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict. Uh, Turn with me to Still in John, go back to chapter 14. And we're looking at verses um, 15 through 17. This is also very important. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, then keep my commandments. And I will pray to the Father, and he will give you another Helper, there's the word again, or comforter. And he will abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me just comment on this. I like, I like it the way it said. Before a person gets saved, do you know that the Holy Spirit is with you. There are certain divine appointments that happen in your life before you're saved. What's going on here? Well, behind the scenes. Some people like to say, I found Jesus. No, you did not find Jesus. He found you. (laughs) And so what it says here, he'll be with you. That's one thing, okay? Uh, And that's God working behind the scenes, manipulating, maneuvering, and he's with you but it's one thing to be with you, and it's a whole another thing, and he goes on to say, and he will be in you, future tense, when you receive him. And then he says, I'm not gonna leave you as orphans. I will come to you, and we'll leave it um, with that. So with that, um, we've explained what the purpose of the Holy Spirit is, is to convict, save people, draw out a church for himself that eventually um, is called uh, the wedding feast of the Lamb. You are called the bride of Christ. And um, the relationship is one as would be with a husband and a wife. That's why you are called the bride of Christ. Everybody with me? Okay, that's the New Testament teaching. You just got it. Now let's look at the Old Testament picture. Genesis chapter 24. Abraham and Isaac. I would just like to read the first two verses and begin to develop the picture. Now, chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to his oldest servant of his house, uh, this is no ordinary servant. Why? Because he had rule over all that he had that was put into his hand and, that he had. So whoever this unnamed oldest servant is, he's in control of everything. But it doesn't tell us his name. Would you like to know what his name is? Somebody say yes. Yes. Okay, I'll tell you. Go back to Genesis chapter 15. And we read concerning this oldest servant the first two verses. This is God's promise for children, for Abraham. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your your exceedingly great reward. But Abraham said, Lord God, what shall you give me, seeing I go childless? And the heir of my house, Eleazar of Damascus. So we just found out, go back to chapter 24, that this oldest servant who's in charge of everything is going to be the heir. I don't have any kids, so something happens to me, he gets it all. Well, this is just not any ordinary Um, servant whose name is Eleazar Um, we're told his name uh, in chapter 15 you want to know what the name Eleazar means somebody say yes again Eleazar means comforter Eleazar means comforter or God's help so here we have Abraham now We know who his name is. And he is making him take a vow at this point. So in verse 3, he says to Eliezer, the comforter, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife from the sons of the daughters of the Canaanites where I dwell. But you shall go to my country, to my kindred, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant, thinking ahead, said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. Interesting verse. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land, which is in great dispute today. They're actually arguing our administration to divide up even Jerusalem. And that's talk that's going on right now. Breaking news. Our great government that we have right now. Um, What if... uh, what if she doesn't want to come? Um, but Abraham says to that uh, the Lord will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife from my, for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then I'll, I'll release you from the vow. Only do not take my son back there. So we have a picture of the father sending an unnamed servant on a mission, and that is to bring back a wife from the land of Mesopotamia. That's where he came from, so let's keep reading. We are gonna tell the whole story here from chapter 24. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took... 10 of his master's camels and departed and all of his master's goods that was in his hands. In other words, he's got 10 camel loads of gold and silver and jewels and precious things packed up with other men that are with them and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And while he's going, Um, he made his camels kneel down outside the city wall by a well of water at evening time when women go out to draw water. Now, why do women go out to draw water in the evening time? Well, because it's too hot in the middle of the day. (laughs) And it's as simple as that. That's why when you read the, the woman at the well, um, uh, she was there at noon, uh, she wanted, she didn't want anybody else to be there and it was the heat of the day so she should have been there the girls get water at night time because it's cooler it's really that simple and then he said oh Lord so they, now we're going to find out a little bit later what I'm about to read to you is actually a prayer from his heart but it's put down for us in words but we'll read later that, that he's praying internally then he said oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now, let it be the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And then you have her say, drink, and will you also I'll also give you your camels drink. Let her be the one to whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. Are you following what's going on here? He doesn't know who the Lord wants. He says, "Okay, Lord, just have it happen this way. We'll bring the camels. I'll have them kneel down. I'm just just going to wait. And the woman that comes up to me, and I ask for a drink of water." Um, and then she says, okay, I'll give you a drink of water, but, but let me water your camels too. And if she says that, that's my prayer, and that's how I will know that that's the one. All right, let's continue to the story. That I may know that you have shown kindness to my master, and it happened before he had finished speaking. I like this, his prayer wasn't even over yet. Before he had even said Amen that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, the young woman was very beautiful to behold a virgin. As far as I know, there's only two people in the Bible that says they're beautiful, but Rebekah has the word very beautiful beautiful, in front of it. And she was a virgin. No man had known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And a servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, Drink, my lord. And then she hastened and let down the pitcher down to his hand and gave him a drink. And when he had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And can't can't you see uh, the unnamed servant Eliezer go, yes! (laughs) Then he hastened and emptied his pitcher into the trough and ran back to the well uh, to draw water and drew for the camels. And the man, man, wondering, this fleece that he put out as he's watching it unfold, remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not, and so it was when the camels had finished drinking uh, that the man Eleazar took a golden nose ring weighing half a shekel, and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels, so now she has a ring in her nose and um, shekels at her hands of gold, and said, whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. And is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? So she said to him, well, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and uh, food enough and room for you to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord and he said, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. So the young woman ran ahead and told uh, those things of her mother's house what had just happened. Now, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban, and Laban ran out to the man to the well, and it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's uh, wrist, and he heard the words of his sister Rebekah saying, thus the man spoke to me uh, that he went to the man, and there he stood by the camels. And so I got Laban running out, and Laban's a, he's a handful. <laughs> and that's a whole other Bible study. But Laban and Rebekah are brother and sisters. And um, I don't know what is knowing Laban what his motive really is here in verse 31. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. And then the man came to the house and Unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. So he was not alone. Food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have told about my errand. And they said, Speak on. So he said, and he goes through the whole routine I am Abraham's servant. And the Lord has blessed my master greatly, and he's become great. He has been given flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was in her old age, and to him he has given all that he has. And remember earlier, before Isaac was born, says, Lord, I need a child, I don't get the child, Eliezer gets it all. And now he's saying that the inheritance is all going to be given over to the son. And my master made me swear, saying, you shall not take away from the sons of the daughters of the Canaanites in whom land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife for my son. And then he recounts to them what had happened when he came to the well. And now I'm not gonna read it, I'll just repeat it because we've already read it. He tells them, I gotta tell you what my business is for being here. And he tells them that I was praying to the Lord and um, the fleece that he put before was that the girl would not only give him water but say, can I do, water your camels also? And uh, the reason for my mission When this all happened and I end up at Abraham's brother's house and he's telling them this whole matter, Um, they're listening to it and he said, as I was praying for this wife, let it be the one that does this. So he's just laying out the whole story before he would eat supper with them to see what their response would be. All right, let's skip down now. Verse 49, he's got done telling the story. Uh, Let's go to 48. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord God of my master Abraham who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left, yes or no. Let me know, because if it's no, then I'm wasting my time and got to do something else. But then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, this thing comes from the Lord. We can't speak to you either good or bad. They had enough insight to see that God's hand was on this marriage and that he has pre-arranged it and put his stamp of approval on it and both Laban and and uh, Bethuel, they said, well, obviously, it's the Lord. And then, therefore, they said, here's Rebekah, take her and go. And, and let her be your master's son's wife, as the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped, the Lord buying himself down to the earth. This is another place where you would get one of these. Yes, it's coming together. They're in favor of it. And they just gave Rebekah to Isaac. Then the servant brought out jewelry and silver and gold and clothing and gave them to Rebecca. He also gave precious things to her brother Laban. Laban really liked that. And to her mother, and he and the men who were with him ate and drank, stayed the night. Then they arose in the morning and said, let's get going, send, send me away to my master. But her brother, this is, this is Laban being Laban, in my opinion. I'm reading between the lines here a little bit. And her mother said, well, let the young woman stay with us a few days, uh, 10 at least, And then she can go after that. I wonder what Laban is really thinking about here. If I could have 10 more days with a guy this loaded, what else could I get? Uh, Dwight's two cents worth on that, two shekels worth. And he said to them, do not hinder me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away so that I may go to my master. So they said, well, we'll call the young woman and we'll ask her personally. Now this is very important. As the picture is unfolding, you have a father sending an unnamed servant whose name means comforter to go find a bride for Isaac. And we've talked about one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit bringing conviction is that you could say yes or no. We've made that point earlier, correct? All right. Up till this point, dad arranged the marriage. And um, that was just the way it was done. Not Not this case. Let's ask Rebecca what she wants to do. And now we have free will entering in. So verse 58, then they called Rebecca and said to him, will you go with this man? And she said, I will go. And she does it of her own free will, and nobody is twisting her arm, and they're leaving that day. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, Abraham's servant, and his men, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, Oh, sister, may you become the mother of thousands of tens of thousands. That's a lot of pregnancies. (laughs) <laughs> and make your descendants possess the gates of all those who hate them. So they're on the road. I've ridden camels. Um, you got to know how to ride a camel. If you don't, you can get sore real quick. <laughs> and uh, they have their own stride, they have their own rhythm, and unless you get into that rhythm, your bottom is hurting. Let's just put it put it that way. And so they're on the way back to the promised land. Then Rebekah and her maids rose and they rode on the camels and followed the men. To the, so the servants took Rebekah and departed. Now, back at home, what's Isaac doing? Well, we find out in 62. Now, Isaac came from the way of, the, of uh, Bir-le-roa, for he dwelt in the south, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. This is meaningful to me because we have a picture of Isaac, which is a type, of course, of Christ, and what does he do? He goes out to meet his bride. What happens with the rapture of the church? He comes, and we go to meet him. I see that here. If you don't see it, don't lose sleep over it or anything. But I find it interesting that he's just out by himself. And he goes out, and he lifts his eyes and looked, and there were the camels were coming. And Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. And she went and said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servants told Isaac all the things that had done, how the Lord was in it, how he supernaturally put a stamp of approval on it, how um, his father was in agreement with it, and she was willing to go of her own free will. And then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. If the Old Testament picture isn't clear as I wind things up this morning, Isaac, of course, speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham is the father who sends the unnamed servant, again, the idea not drawing attention to himself, that's why I believe he's unnamed, but we can find out his name. We found out his name. Eliezer means comforter. So we have a picture of the father sending the comforter into a foreign land to bring back a bride for Isaac. And Eliezer would be the Holy Spirit, the comforter, sent back to bring Isaac. And so now we have, I think, one of, for me personally, one of... Uh, um, the most beautiful Old Testament picture of this teaching of one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit is to convict, bring repentance, call called out of the world, and then we're looking forward. Uh, if you're engaged, do you not count the days by hours and minutes instead of weeks and months? <laughs> you're looking forward to it. And as we close things up this morning, that's what's in your future, my friends. Um, If you've accepted Christ and you've been convicted by the Holy Spirit and he's living in you, you got a wedding day coming. And that could be very, very soon. Uh, The wedding feast of the Lamb. Joyous occasion, Jewish weddings lasted for a week, seven days. That's why in Cana it says the wine ran out well, if it was just a one meal, they would have had enough for one one meal, but no, they were there for a whole week so jesus's first miracle was turning the water into wine. One verse the close let's go back to first Corinthians chapter fifteen and I would like to speak to those who have never received Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior and realizing the real reason is that he loved the world so much that he gave his son. He loves you. He wants you to be his bride. But you have a free will. You can say yes, Lord, or you can say no, Lord, when the Holy Spirit comes. So if you're in that state this morning and you're wondering, well, just what is the gospel? Let's leave it with this. 1 Corinthians 15 the first four verses, if you ever want to share and somebody wants to know, I, said, I, I can present the gospel to you real simply. in Four verses, here it is. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. And here it is. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for your sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And because he lives, you live. And if we don't have this faith, the Bible tells us in verse 19, and have this hope, then we are men most pitiful or miserable. And uh, what is life all about anyway? I'll tell you what it's about. It's about your wedding day. And um, something that the scriptures tells us to look forward to. It's taught in the New Testament. But there's this beautiful picture of it in the Old Testament. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. And we marvel how you work supernaturally, naturally. And a simple prayer of Eliezer that he prayed in his heart um, was a simple prayer that you began to answer even before he finished speaking. Lord, I pray for any this morning that after hearing that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can enter uh, the kingdom of heaven except by you, we can exercise our free will and believe it and receive it and become part of uh, the bride of Christ or we can reject it and suffer the consequences of dying in our sins which is eternal separation from you. So Lord as we close this morning I pray your Holy Spirit as it said earlier is with some people right now wanting to draw them to you. I pray that you'd soften their heart and they would open their heart and have them invite you into their lives. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.